AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. Welcome back to our Wednesday Secular AA Speaker Series. Today we'll hear from PJ from Sydney, Australia, who was speaking in Kansas City, Missouri at the KC Secular AA Speaker Meeting on December 15th, 2018. Thanks very much. Uh, my name is PJ. I'm a, an alcoholic. Um, I'm from Sydney, Australia, and uh, I'm Irish-born, so my accent is Irish. So if you're wondering, he's talking funny. That's the reason. I've spent half my life in Australia. I'm Australian, but I'm Irish-born. So um, our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we're like now. And that's the format I generally use when I share. So um, to tell you my story, um, before I picked up my drink, I was a goner. And what I mean by that, I'm one of those alcoholics who identifies particularly with uh, feeling ill at ease as a kid and having ungrounded, unfounded fears. And the world was a mystery to her to me. And my way of describing it is I felt like I was on AM and everyone around me seemed to be on FM. I had trouble fitting in. Um, this is not every alcoholic story, but it was certainly mine. Um, I don't come from an alcoholic family. Uh, I can't say when I was a certain age something happened to traumatize me. Uh, from my earliest memory, I was like that. And when I got sober, I heard a, an American speaker called Jack Brennan say, my name's Jack Brennan, I'm an alcoholic, and I was born afraid. And that was a really good description of me. And um, my family, I came from quite a loving, caring family, uh, two parents that looked after me really well. Not a perfect family, but just nothing there that would point to me being how I was. Uh, and when I came to be a teenager and I got interested in girls, I was terrible. I was so afraid of girls. Not the expected nervousness. If you see teenagers checking each other out, does that nervous play? I was so terrified if I got near them, I would have thrown up all over them. I was just so much anxiety. And you can't tell people that. You, you want to hide it, which makes it worse. And you're flogging yourself saying, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just walk up and say hello? Anyway, uh, at 19, I was in this pub in Dublin. And there was all these nice girls there. And I was really keen to go up and just introduce myself. You know, just uh, hello. But had I gone near them, I would have thrown up all over them. <laughs> uh, and I was standing there wondering what to do. And a guy called Mick O'Mahony provided me with the answer because Mick O'Mahony bought me my first drink. And it was a pint of Smithics in a pub called McGovern's in Dublin. And it cost him 35 pence. And I'm, I cannot remember ever having my first cup of tea or my first cup of coffee, because it didn't do for me what that first drink did. And I had a few mouthfuls out of it, and I began to feel very relaxed and very calm. And suddenly, I discovered that I was on FM, the same as everybody else in the world seemed to be, and I could communicate and make sense of what was happening around me. And that was the power of it. Uh, and I didn't plan on becoming an alcoholic. You know, it wasn't a career move. Uh, I, I really looked down on people that drank too much. Uh, 
but you know I'm an alcoholic and I'd had that first drink and I didn't know about triggering you know that compulsion that, that gets triggered by the first drink and that mental obsession and every single time I drank I felt that now I didn't get into trouble every time I drank I didn't get drunk every time I drank but I always felt that pull and that's what separated me from the rest I believe that night I got mad drunk, I threw up all over the bed, and I had my first hangover. And uh, hangovers are terrible, you know, lest we forget. And if I had ever eaten a ham sandwich that made me as sick as alcohol does when you have a hangover, I would never again touch. You just wouldn't eat or drink anything that makes you that sick. And yet I repeated that process over and over because it was just too good and I enjoyed it too much. And I was having a lot of fun. And, you know, my drinking story isn't all that bad. In the beginning, I had, God, I had so much fun, you know. And I could talk to girls and I could go out and I could just take a few drinks and take that, you know, take the edge off and just settle down. You know, the shoulders had relaxed and you sort of breathe out. And, you know, when I was getting sober, trying to get sober, I was seeing a psychologist, you know, and she said to me, Alcohol works incredibly well for the alcoholic. It's extremely powerful. It works very efficiently and it changes us, you know. And it did for me. And I had a, a lot of enjoyment, went to parties, did a lot of fun. But then a change came and I began to have blackouts where I couldn't remember what I did the night before. Uh, I began to have a Jekyll and Hyde personality change. Then I tried to control it and regulate it. And, you know, you'll know what that means. You just can't, you just can't do it. I married somebody. Uh, which was a really a disaster for her. And uh, I'm, I'm not proud of a lot of stuff I did. And I have images in my head and memories that I would prefer weren't there. But, you know, when, you, when I come to AA, I have to have a resume. It's like a job application, you know. And I've done certain things, and that's just the way it is. But I've, I've discovered when I got sober in AA, there was a way of dealing with these things, you know, that I could handle them. And I drank for 14 years and I didn't think I was an alcoholic. And I held on to this one thing for a long time because I was a binge drinker. I was a start-stop periodic and I could give up the booze for certain periods of time. And I thought alcoholics could never do that. Uh, to me, alcoholics were always drunk. And I was getting promoted at work. I had a good job and I was on the up and up. And I thought... You can't be an alcoholic. Now, my wife used to say to me things like, <laughs> why can't you have two drinks like everybody else? You know, And why do you have to do all those things? And my solution to that was, I'll sneak my drinks and hide it. I'll be such a good husband, I won't let her see me drink. So I'd only allow her to see me drinking two drinks. Uh, and meanwhile, I'd be, I'd be you know, going into the bedroom, I'd have a bottle and I'd be having a few uh, and that, you know, that's a problem because social drinkers don't, uh, don't drink that way. So we got married and six weeks after we did, we migrated to Australia because I believe my problems were in Ireland. It was the job, it was my family, it was the people I worked with. And guess what? I replicated my problems beautifully when I went to Australia. And I began to, I began to have all the same problems. Uh, you know, and in the finish, you know, she, she gave me a, uh, a series of warnings. Uh, she drew a line in the sand and she left. And I hated her guts, you know. And I look back on that now and we hurt people, you know. It's not very nice, you know. Active alcoholism is not nice. And we hurt people who are close to us and people that love us. And, you know, she bore the brunt of my alcoholism and I hated her guts. And, um, 
you know, in, before she left, she had pressured me to try and do something about my drinking. And I went to see a psychologist. And, uh, you know, she, she said to me, uh, uh, she asked me my story and asked me about my drinking. And I told her, and she said, there's two possibilities here. One is that you're an alcoholic. And that means you can never, ever drink again. And the other is you're a heavy drinker that's lost control. And I will teach you how to do control drinking. Now, you can imagine which option I jumped at, you know. <laughs> control drinking. So I, I tried control drinking, which is disastrous because you only have two standard drinks a day. So I'd have my ration for Monday night and I'd have my two drinks. And of course, I trigger that compulsion and I break into Tuesday night's ration and Wednesday night's ration. And on I go. And I used to go back and see her. And she used to say, uh, I don't understand what's going wrong. I said, I don't understand either. I said, I come into AA and they said, it's the first drink does the damage, you know. And if you don't pick up the first drink, you can't possibly get drunk. And that was one of the best things I learned, first of all, when I came to AA. And there, there isn't a stopping off point. There isn't a point I can get to where I can drink safely. I have to give it up. And the other thing that saved me in AA is the 24-hour plan. Uh, when I latched on to this idea that you just didn't have to drink for today, and the old timers said to me, look, do you think that you can get through the rest of today without a drink? And I said, I, I think I can. And then they said, well, then you can stay sober because that's all any of us do. And the AA people made it possible for me to see that this wasn't a, a lifelong sentence, you know, that AA wasn't the worst thing that happened to me. But, you know, going, going back to my story, uh, I was seeing that psychologist. I had to drink some more, have a few more problems. And one night I just woke up and I was, I was drinking and I just said, I'm over this. I just cannot do this anymore. And I had a simple choice, either fix it or do myself in. And we were talking about this earlier on tonight. There are people that don't make it. It's terrible. And it was a knife edge, you know, for me. And I luckily just decided I'll, I'll reach out, went to a different psychologist. He said to me, what's going on? And I told him the poor PJ story, which I thought was the saddest story in the whole world. And when I'd finished, I thought he'd, he'd break down crying. And all he said was, he asked me a question, what about your drinking? <laughs> and I said, if I could just sort my life out first, if I could just get everything fixed up, maybe I could look at the drinking. And he just said, I think you have it the wrong way around. If you deal with the drinking first, let's put the booze down first, and then we can deal with the rest of it. And he said, I'm quite certain, in fact, if you, if you can do that, if you can put the booze down, a lot of problems will disappear. And he was quite right. So drink driving disappeared overnight. Blackouts disappeared overnight. Like today, I woke up in a clean, dry bed this morning. I love that. I remember where I parked my car like that last night. I really like that. I'm not going out in, on the street looking for my car. I look up and I can see the back of it sticking out in the middle of the road and it's parked sideways. And then you go up and you check it for dents and you check it for blood because you can't remember driving home the night before. So a lot of garbage stopped happening when I put the booze down. And he just was very emphatic and said, you know, you know, I've got all these qualifications up here, but I can't help a fear drinking problem. And you need to go to AA. And he said, Alcoholics Anonymous is where alcoholics go to learn how to lead a life without drinking alcohol. And in essence, that's what I found. And the hotels and bars around are full of alcoholics who are experts in drinking. And it was a question of which, which uh, world I wanted to live in. So I, I begrudgingly went to a meeting the following night, and I didn't want to be there. 
I parked a car a few blocks away. You know, this is what happened. Uh, but what I got at that door was a handshake. And I really think that's uh, so important if you're new. You get a handshake and a welcome, you know, because uh, it's not here tonight, but you used to have the steps up and the seditions up and all the AA one-liners, and, and I couldn't read. That was all just... You know, my head was porridge, but I did understand a nice handshake and a welcome. And the secretary says, just sit down and try and relax, which I tried to do. He said, I'll talk to you at the end of the meeting. And I heard people share. And the thing that got me was quite a few guys there have been in jail. And some terrible stories, sleeping in parks. And they were all well-dressed and they were quite happy. So I was kind of fascinated at the story I was hearing and the person that I heard it from, it didn't seem to make sense. So I kind of got curious, and the secretary just says to me, whatever you do, don't pick up the first drink, come to another meeting. And that was my start in AA. And one meeting has led to another meeting, and another meeting, and another meeting. And, you know, there's a, pro a progression to alcoholism. The longer you drink, the worse it gets. And I believe there's a progression to sobriety as well. It takes time. In the beginning, I couldn't remember the names of people who spoke never mind what they said. And I couldn't read the literature. I couldn't read the big book because my, my mind was racing so fast. Uh, but, you know, a guy called Little Davey said to me, you know, don't worry, put all that stuff to one side and down the track you will. And, you know, in hindsight, when I got was sober a few years, many of the members who helped me had a very uh, limited education. Most of them left school before high school. Some of them would have even been illiterate, right? So they were not capable of reading steps and reading the literature, but they knew how to help you. And that's what really, the AA for me is fellowship-based, really, is one alcoholic sharing, trying to help. And uh, I was told to join a group, which I did. I joined South Hurstville, and um, I got sober washing up and sweeping floors and vacuuming. And at that time, they used to smoke outside the meeting, and I used to have to wash the ashtrays outside, which I'd, I resented because I didn't smoke, right? And I said to one of the old-timers, why the bloody hell am I washing these because I don't <laughs> smoke? And he said, you're doing it for the group. And also he said, this meeting is in a primary or elementary school playground, and we don't want the kids to come in tomorrow morning and find cigarette butts, you know? So it was about forgetting about myself and just trying to do some service work. And my observations were that people with a quality sobriety were just trying to help, you know? And that's what I began to do. And I became a meetings man. I did meetings all over Sydney. And at that time, there was a lot of, there were people sober longer than I was alive. There was one guy, Stan from Ramsgate, who, who was born six days after I was born. So there was a lot of, um, lent to sobriety and a lot of experience and these people were quite prepared to help me so I just probably was on that first step for about 18 months I, I had the third tradition the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking and I knew I was powerless over alcohol the God stuff scared me because I was a renegade Catholic I'd, I'd gone from um, an altar boy as a kid growing up uh, but I was the altar boy who altered you know, I, I believed in God. I was I had a total faith in God as a Catholic. Then I picked up a drink at 19, got away from it, came into AA, saw all the God language, and I couldn't say the word God for quite a while. But over time, I was desperate, and I tried to read the big book and put the steps in my life and do all of that stuff. And for a while, that worked for me. 
But when I was about 18 years sober, I began to have doubts about it. And I shared about, you know, this to a couple of people in Sydney. I don't think I believe in God. And one guy says, what are you talking about? You have to believe in God to get sober. And I'll, I'll just take you through the Bible and we'll do the Sermon on the Mount together. <laughs> so I stopped sharing about it. And um, I mean, I was happily sober, but I thought there was something still wrong with me because I didn't know of anybody else that was an atheist, which is what I was. And until three years ago, I was, I was on holidays here and I went to a meeting in Florida. A meeting, it was a theistic meeting, a lot of God language. And this guy said, his name was so-and-so, he was an alcoholic and he was an atheist. And my jaw dropped. And uh, he said he, he could put all the principles of the program into his life. And I was, wow. And uh, two weeks later, I started to look up online, you know, uh, Atheist AA. And I went to a, an Atheist AA meeting in Berkeley, California, two weeks later. And there was a room like this with maybe a few more people. None of them believed in God. And uh, they were all shapes and sh sizes and different lengths of sobriety. And I knew it was possible. And uh, so, you know, I went back to Sydney and I Googled. If you ask Mr. Google, AA and atheist or secular, uh, you know, you get hit with all these hits. And I quickly discovered AA Beyond Belief and AA Agnostica. And I began to reach out to some of the people in this room here and make contact. And the great thing was um, I knew I wasn't alone. Now, we didn't have any secular meetings in Sydney. Uh, there was only one at the time in Melbourne, which is the other city. Uh, and today there are six, and a, another one, a seventh, is going to open in January. So uh, we had no meetings in Sydney, and I was going to meetings. I was online to people, and then one day I was at a meeting, and it was full of God, <laughs> and I just had enough. And I'd met another atheist, and I said, I've had enough, and he said, okay, let's start a meeting. So we started a meeting almost two years ago, which was the best thing ever. Because, so now we have a room where people come in and say, you know, gee, it's nice to stand up and say, I don't believe in God and not be corrected by the next speaker, you know, a safe place. Because, you know, alcoholics, we, we've paid a massive entry fee to get here, you know, massive, really big. We don't need to be put down or corrected or someone telling us you shouldn't do this, you know, shouldn't do that, or you're wrong. Uh, I just need someone to tell me, you know, come and sit down, it's going to be okay, and, you know, we can work through this, and there's a way, and there's nothing wrong with you. Uh, one of my friends, Bill from Paddington, says, you know, it's okay to be not okay. You know, put your seat on a seat. You know, and remember, have you had a drink today? We are talking uh, with Doris earlier about gratitude. There was a guy called Don from Gordon, and I mentioned names just because... Um, they meant a lot to me, you know, they were old timers that shared. And in my early days, my, my shares were a, a big complaint about my life and how, how hard it was. <laughs> and, and Don used to say to me, you know, have you had a drink today? <laughs> and I go, no, I haven't had a drink. <laughs> and he'd say, well, that's amazing. That's wonderful. I go, oh, I suppose it is, you know. And eventually he'd say, listen, he said, you're an alcoholic and you haven't had a drink today. That's truly amazing. He said, because if you're an alcoholic, you can do that. You're in AA. He said, then you are a real chance of being a participant in life. And that's what AA has given me. Because, you know, when I was growing up, I had a wonderful father. 
and I aspired to be the man that he was, but I couldn't be because I picked up a drink, and I aspired to be the loving husband that he was, but I couldn't because I was an alcoholic, I was drinking, and you know, I aspired to be the father that he was, but I couldn't be. And that's what AA has done. So I've had a chance to be the man I want to be, the person I want to be. I've gotten married. I've had a chance to be a husband and a father. And that's the thing AA has given me because as an alcoholic, while I was out there, you know, drinking, it just chopped the legs out from under me. And, you know, we have a lot to give in life. Alcoholics generally have a lot of talent and can, can achieve a lot. And it's about putting the booze down, coming in here, and trying to sort yourself out and find out what you can be, you know. And, well, that's what I do anyway. And uh, and here I am on a holiday in the States again, and that's just because I have a job and I save up. Uh, and I learned that when I was about six months sober. There was a guy in a meeting, and he said that all his life, he had this dream, he'd be at the bar wishing to go to the United States, you know, to visit the U.S., and all he ever did was talk about it. And all his money went behind the bar, you know. And then he got sober. And when I heard him, he was just about to go to America for his 14th trip. And what he used to do was each year he would go to a different state. And he'd just do one state, right? And all he did was he had a job. He opened up a bank account, a holiday saving account, and saved. And he took his annual leave. And... So you can do these simple things in life uh, because AA gives you that ability, and that's what I've done. Uh, I'm still, you know, me. Um, I thought that if I did the program perfectly with the right sponsor at the right time, I would be reinvented, right? That has not been my experience. I said to you before, you know, when I was a kid, I felt like I was an AM and the world seemed to be an FM, and that is still the case for me. The only place I've ever fitted in and felt 100% at home is in a room like this with other alcoholics, right? Without a drink. And one of our co-founders in AA in Australia was a guy called Sylvester Minogue. He was a psychiatrist and an alcoholic. And there's a recording of him talking about an alcoholic. And his description of it is quite, um, applies to me. And I just shared it with you. He said, you know, the alcoholic is a misfit in society. And he said, we have the greatest trouble as, you know, communicating. We, we speak in a shorthand language and think in pictures. And I certainly know that's the case for me. And I seem to have to translate my form of thinking into what, what others are, th- are saying and doing around me. But in, in AA, I've managed to sort of reduce all that and make it manageable. Sometimes um, I can still have anxiety or I'm not sure what to do. Other days are great. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if you can get to bed tonight and you haven't had a drink today, you're a mile in front. And some days that's all I can do. Other days I can do a lot more. Um, talking earlier on too, it's, it's important, I think, to physically to look after yourself. You know, I was drinking uh, about 12 cans of Pepsi Max a day, about six cups of coffee, and I was wondering why I couldn't sleep. This is early sobriety, you know? And it took me about you know, 12 months to figure it out because I got a, um, I got reflux and uh, I didn't sleep the whole way through, you know, for about three years. And now, you know, most of the time I can go to bed and sleep six or seven hours, but I can still have sleep disruption. So 
you know, I'm still a human being, you know, as, as my friend uh, Tattoo Gary says, you know, I do the best that I can with what I got left, you know, uh, and humor and laughter are so important. And the old timers are just very gentle. When I was nine months sober, I, I made a trip back to Ireland because I wanted to tell my family, A, I'm an alcoholic and B, I'm in AA. And it's quite daunting, you know, and it's a 24 hour flight from Sydney to Dublin. And it's free booze, you know. And uh, so, so I didn't just walk onto the plane and then scratch my head and wonder what to do. I planned it. And at that time, I had tapes. Those of you who are old enough to remember C90 cassette tapes and Walkmans, and you had all your batteries. And, uh, and I, I was armed with all this getting onto the flight. And the first phone call I made when I landed in Dublin wasn't to my family. It was to the AA office. And I found out where there was a meeting that night. And I went along, and I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what the Irish meetings were like, but I walked in, and the steps were hanging up under traditions, and the place was full of smoke. They used to smoke in the meetings then. It was just, the place was just chockers with smoke. Anyway, I sat down, and I was really worried about, I've got three weeks here. Am I going to be able to manage? And a total stranger came up to me and gave me a big mug of tea. He said, there you go. And, you know, I just felt, you know what, I think it's going to be okay. Kindness. Um, I'm attracted to meetings in Sydney where there's kindness and people caring. And I, I like to have people in my life that care. I'm not someone that needs a sponsor that tells me, oh, you did it, you should have done this and you should have done that. And, you know, I need encouragement. I need, I need honesty, but I need encouragement. So if you're new or near new, you know, it's the first drink does the damage. 24-hour uh, plan, just try and live your life in daytime compartments. Uh, find people that you can honestly share with, you know. Uh, I no longer pray. I don't do the steps formally. The big book, I don't read the first 164 pages. Uh, the stories in the big book, I love because I'm from an Irish storytelling culture. And what's happened to me is I came into AA and I had a 14-year drinking story. It was terribly tragic. And what's happened in AA is I've developed a sobriety story to the point where a lot of that 14 years and all that stuff that happened is kind of in the past, you know. Uh, and I now have a lot of really good memories and uh, a lot of people that came into my life and helped me. And uh, I'm here visiting some friends. I never knew I'd come to Missouri, but I did. <laughs> uh, and it's really lovely to hear tonight. And thank you so much for listening to me, to me. And thank you so much for asking me to share. Thank you. And that's another episode of AA Beyond Belief. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to help out our site and podcast, there's a couple of things you can do. First of all, go over to iTunes and leave us a review, hopefully a favorable one. You can also help out financially with either a recurring or one-time contribution. You can do that by setting up small recurring donations at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash aabeyondbelief or through PayPal at paypal.me slash aabeyondbelief. And you can always visit our site aabeyondbelief.org and click on the donate button. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast.